I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. You know, I feel like ever since we came back to recording in person, I still feel weird doing our intro. It is weird. I I get like nervous right before I hit record. And then I get really in my head about that first like, hi, because it always sounds really like, hi. You know, it's like super high pitched. And then I'm like, oh, yeah. So just letting you in a little peek behind the curtain of my (laughs) inner thoughts and anxiety. Well, yeah, you do start it off. And but I feel like I would be the same way. Like, it's not gonna be like, hi, I'm Madigan. Like, you have to be like, hi, I'm this. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Got to turn on high, you know, that podcasting voice. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (sighs) Well, we are going to be talking about a problematic fave TV show. Yeah, we are. And I did want to clarify before getting started that we are talking about the American office. That is a great thing to add. (laughs) Right. I was doing my prep and I was like, oh, yeah, this was. Originally in the UK. Yeah. Originally a show in the UK with Ricky Gervais playing the like Michael Scott character. Yeah. And that is not what we're talking about today. I haven't seen that version. Please don't come for me. I haven't either. I I was reading though in the prep for this that the first like the pilot episode of the American version is like essentially like the same. That's what I heard is like basically the whole first season mimics the first season. Yeah, I did read that one of the episodes that we're going to be probably talking about quite a bit uh, was like the first it was the second episode ever, but it was like the first one where they kind of created their own storyline. So maybe they kind of went back and forth between like following the original series and then like coming up with their own stuff intermixed. Now, this show is massive. Okay, like this is one of the biggest shows of all time. I think it actually had the highest streaming numbers or hours streamed on Netflix of any show. And yeah. Friends was on there for a long time, you know, so Wild, like, yeah. it's it's a beloved show. The fandom, you know, behind this show is huge. We're aware of that. Again, when we do these episodes, I feel like we always have to kind of start off by saying like, we're not trying to ruin something that you enjoy. Like, Right. And we're also saying like, 
we're not telling you you can't watch it. It's just about pointing out the things that are problematic so you're aware of it when you're viewing it. And then you can make your own decisions on whether or not you can watch it or not. Because, you know, we covered How I Met Your Mother a while ago. And How I Met Your Mother is a show for me that I... I can recognize an episode in an instant, yet I don't really feel comfortable watching it anymore. It just feels too dated, too much stuff, and it pisses me off. So that's kind of all this is, really, is pointing out the things and kind of nitpicking at the different things that we find in a series or in a movie to be problematic. And then you can kind of make your own choices of what to do with that once we've given the information. Right. I mean, by contrast, we also did an episode on Friends. And both of us still watch Friends, like fully knowing a lot of the things about that show that are that I can take issue with. Or we did this on Sex and the City. And, you know, I will still, if it's on, if I'm at a hotel and Sex and the City is on, yeah I'll watch an episode of Sex and the City you are know? you gonna watch the new reboot of Sex and the City you know I don't know I haven't seen enough promotional material on it to see if it's really something I'm gonna be interested in well I, mean, I think it's like not done yet like I think it's, it's still not. in the works and like yeah. being filmed and stuff and King Cattrall's not gonna be in it which is I'm like I don't know I'm like why do it at all yeah it's gonna be weird but like I've seen all of the Sex and City movies and love mm. them like I feel like it's Oof. just one of those things for me where it's like I don't care how trashy and bad it is I'm gonna continue to watch Carrie and Charlotte and you yeah. know it's like I'm still gonna watch it just I, to know I what probably, it's about you I know I probably will I mean it's probably gonna be on HBO Max so right. I feel like eh and I'll, it'll be like an easy like not stressful show to watch you exactly. know whatever. I'll end up pouring a glass of wine and and watching the Sex and the City reboot I'm just curious as to like I mean now we're kind of getting off of the office but I'm curious as to how they're gonna do Sex and the City in like today's lens I don't know. It's going to be interesting. They're asking themselves those questions because when we did that episode, it was very apparent to me that the actors uh, in that show, you know, Sarah Jessica Parker, uh, were very aware of the things that were dated about the show. So I imagine that they are going to be bringing those issues to the table. And I know Cynthia Nixon, of course, is well. That's what I was going to say. She especially is like very political, so politically active, and Mm -hmm. like on it. And she's come out since the show was originally on, and things like that. So I hope, if anything, Cynthia Nixon would probably be like, "All right, let's figure this out." But actually, this kind of does bring me into a certain topic with The Office. Um, because, you know, so many shows have done these reboots or reunions and things like that, that like every beloved show, they're like, when are you going to get a reboot? When are you going to do a reunion? Whatever. I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Well, and um, I almost said Michael Scott agrees. Steve Carell agrees. He said in an interview in 2018 that he doesn't think the show fits into today's climate. Uh, he said, I just don't think it's a good idea. It might be impossible to do that show today and have people accept it the way it was accepted 10 years ago. The climate's different. I mean, the whole idea of that character, Michael Scott, so much of it was predicated on inappropriate behavior. So I think that's really cool that he's like, yeah, Michael Scott, not someone to look up to, not someone we need to bring into 2020 or 2021 or anything like that. Right. I mean, it's it's kind of interesting because this show meant so much to so many people uh, and when I was in high school, it was big. It was super big in like the mid 2000s, late yeah. 2000s uh, and on until the, the ending of the show. Yeah, it was on but, from 2005 to 2013. Yeah. And I did not watch it when it was on. I actually didn't watch it until it got put back on Netflix, I think. in Same. Well, but I think I watched it in like 2019. I think I watched it. They were getting ready to take it off of Netflix. And so I and was like, And that was like, the okay. first time you'd ever seen it all the way through? It's the first time. And actually, I never even finished it. I got like, I got the, to the last season. The last few seasons are dumb because Steve Carell isn't there and they bring in new characters and like, and then they start showing the documentary crew. That's when I was out. It was like whenever there was something going on between Pam and the cameraman and I was yeah. like, I'm Done. It was like the sound guy or whatever. Yeah, it, it got super weird. I don't understand why. I, I mean, I guess because it was still doing so well with the numbers that they were like, oh, let's just like Keep push it, it on, even yeah. though it's not going to be like it's not as good. So the fact that you stopped there makes sense. I did watch the whole thing and I probably watched it in like 2013. Like it was around the time that the series ended. But I do remember going to a sleepover in high school where whoever's house it was, they were like obsessed yes. with the office. Yeah. And we watched like. 15 episodes in a night. I remember the only office, you know, I'd ever seen outside of maybe it's just on TV randomly was I had a good friend right out when I was right outside of high school and she had this tiny little 
studio apartment that was like so small and cramped and I was over at her apartment for something and she was like, okay, like you can be here, but also like if you're going to be here, like you have to come sit in bed. Like we got in her bed under the covers with her laptop because <laughs> it was the episode where Pam and Jim get married and she oh. was like losing her shit. Like she was like crying. And for me, you know, having not seen this show until a couple of years ago, yeah, uh, I was like, okay, what's the big deal? They were getting ready to take it off of Netflix. And so I was like, now's my chance. Yeah. One period of time between Christmas and New Year's, I was like, I've got days off. Let's just binge this thing. Like, let's just get <laughs> through it. You know what I mean? And it was an interesting ride for me because I feel like we had this same conversation basically anytime we've done one of these episodes where it's like, the climate has changed so much in 10 years even. Yeah. Um, or, you know, if you go back and even further with like friends, like 20 years or yeah. whatever, like things change so much so quickly that it was weird watching it in 2019 because I remember thinking like, even though I, I know it's purposefully supposed to be this like over the top cringe fest, right? Yeah. Like that's kind of like what it's supposed to be. The overt sexism yeah. and racism and homophobia that's in even the first couple episodes and the first season within the first like minute, minute. there's yeah. a transphobic joke like it's insane yeah you know I, I'm just gonna point this out because one show that I think actually does the cringe the worst of the worst types of people really really well is always sunny in Philadelphia you know, I've actually never seen that either. <gasps> I know. Oh my gosh. Know. That's like a show that Max and I, if we just like don't know what else to watch, we'll rewatch an episode of that. They're all the worst people ever, but it's, it's so obviously over the top and horrible that it doesn't feel as gross. And there are certain like, they're all, it's made by super liberal people too, who are like very politically active. So you can kind of tell that they're almost like taking it to a point where it's, it doesn't seem realistic. Well, you know I, what I mean? I've never seen that show, but I they're they're pretty unlikable, right? I mean They're like, all the worst. Right? They're the humans. worst. And so I think part of what got the office in trouble was that it was you were still supposed to be really rooting for Michael Scott, right? Yeah. Like you're still really on his side. Like he is still the protagonist and you're supposed to be like, oh, you know, he's that one person that everybody knows who everybody kind of gives a pass to because they're like, oh, he's just an idiot. Like he yeah. doesn't know what he's saying. And I'm like, it's really a problematic message to send, especially whenever the character in question is in a position of authority. Exactly. He's the boss and he mistreats every single one of his employees so much. Uh, we just mentioned that within the first episode, the very first joke, there's a transphobic joke where, you know, I don't know if this is where it came from, but Michael Scott says, you're a gentleman and a scholar over the phone or whatever. And then he's corrected by the person over the other end of the phone. And he, I, and I don't know what exactly this is. I didn't rewatch the episode, but he justified his statement by saying she had a very low voice. Right. Well, I think that's all, you know, I think that that's the interaction was like, he has a reaction to something that they say over the phone. And then oh, he, cause he said up. gentleman and a scholar. Right. And then he's mm -hmm. like, Oh, well I thought it was a guy because she had a very low voice. It's right. Like, okay. Right. I mean, and another criticism of this show is that all of the characters in it, um, are defined by their minority status. Like yeah. every single one, unless you are a gym, which is just kind of like the cool white dude in the office. Yeah. You are, if you are a woman of color, right? If you are a woman at all, if you are gay, if you are Mexican, if you are black, yeah. like you are defined by your minority status in that office and by Michael Scott specifically. Yeah. And I mean, Michael Scott is incredibly sexist as well. And honestly, you know, I was when I was reading about it and kind of reflecting on it, even though I hadn't seen the show in so long, they were discussing how bland the female characters mm -hmm. really are and how dependent on the male character or that being their like objective or their motivation has something to do with a man in the show. And I'm like, well, yeah, like that does that does ring true mm -hmm. to what it was like all of these characters that were female all kind of relied upon their male counterpart right as creating their character Angela leaned a lot on Dwight like yeah. that was basically her <laughs> her counterpart of, yeah part, and, and yeah. her storylines really revolved heavily upon like their relationship or yeah. other relationships she was having with other men on the show Pam 
is such a bummer to me because she had the opportunity to be something yeah. really great. And then there, of course, part of what viewers loved was that like, will they, won't they between like Pam and Jim and that like tension, that building like office attraction tension that happened. Yeah. And unfortunately, once they actually got together, it became her character just kind of like fell apart. Like, yeah, it just stopped. It just stopped well, developing happens, entirely. Like that happens in so many shows. Like, I feel like the only show that I can think of where two characters got together and actually made it the show better is friends. Like when Monica and Chandler got together, it almost like their relationship became another character. It was interesting. They kept it funny. They kept it exciting where I feel like with so many other shows and Jim and Pam included, they're like, well, now we got to make the relationship have problems. We've got to throw these things in well, where I feel like if they had kept the whole will they, won't they throughout the season or the series and then ended it on a happy note, we wouldn't have that that opportunity for, you know, Jim to be flirting with someone else when he's away and for Pam to be interested in the sound guy. Like it kind of tainted that like fairy tale romantic storyline they had for most of the series well I think Monica and Chandler are a perfect illustration of how you can do it like you know like you can do it well but the problem became that they didn't allow Pam to develop outside of that relationship because prior to that she had like goals and ambitions she wanted to go to art school she did go to art school right yeah Uh, there were like all of those all of those things happening with Monica and Chandler their relationship was a character but they also maintained their themselves they maintain their their autonomy and you know their interactions with the other characters in the show and things like that and it did kind of you know when I say that their relationship kind of became another character it was because like it it did create other Mm storylines for the show dynamic and a dynamic yeah that worked really really well where I feel like most writers go wrong because they're like well now we have to create conflict they can't just be happy you know what I mean or and like they they do it in such a wrong way that makes us hate the couple or hate the characters and I ended up or feel bad for them like I just felt bad for Pam because I was just like we're these things that we're supposed to feel good about like the fact that like you are having kids and stuff and it's supposed to make us feel good yeah by the end and again I didn't watch through the series finale but like by the end to me what I saw was this woman who had all of these like dreams and ambitions to be an artist and she's going to break out and she's going to do these things ended up being this like wife and mother yeah. who stayed back, stayed in the office. And, you know, again, a lot of this were, these were choices she made. Right. But like she stayed in the office while Jim goes away and becomes yeah. this like he joins this like startup. Right. And, yeah, exactly. And meanwhile Pam is like at home with the kids yeah and, like trying to juggle all this stuff yeah we got to talk about Jim and Pam some more I I think that's a pretty good place to start because their relationship is such a central part of the show so they met and they were like best friends in the office mainly because they shared a love for pranking Dwight, Dwight. Yeah. you know that was kind of like their bonding or whatever and Pam was with was his name Andy no it wasn't Roy. Andy that So Pam was with Roy and we're supposed to automatically hate this Roy guy because he's not Jim. And we know that Jim is pining over Pam and all this kind of stuff. That's kind of how we meet them. I mean, Roy also sucks. So yeah, Roy was really shitty, too. But honestly, looking back, I don't know if Jim is much better. (laughs) I mean, well, I think it's kind of a good example of that early 2000s, like what we expected like they're they're both shitty but Roy was more overtly shitty like yeah he was shitty in the way that like he took Pam for granted in a very overt way like yeah she would make his lunches or whatever and it was yeah. just kind of this like chauvinistic thing where he didn't really pay attention to her he didn't really care about her opinion about things right she wanted to get married and he pretty much like dismissed it like she because they that was part of like the running joke as yeah well, she was, was like, engaged like for years and years or yeah whatever, right they'd been engaged for like a really long time and every time she would bring up the wedding he kind of like shrugged it off or even when they started actively planning it he really didn't want to be involved in planning their wedding that's like, right yeah he was, he was kind of shit like I, I mean yeah I get it and by contrast you have Jim who appears to be so like well yeah and like we see them getting along so well and like being so similar and all this kind of stuff there is an episode called Casino Night which is where Jim 
finally like professes his love to Pam and kind of like gets her alone, tries to get out of the friend zone and like pours his heart out to her. And Pam is like, you know, I think you misinterpreted our friendship. And she kind of like turns him down and says, no, I want to remain engaged to Roy. And then watching it, we see Pam like call her mom or something and kind of give a hint that, you know, she does really like Jim, but Jim doesn't know any of this. But then all of a sudden, it's like Jim ignores the fact that Pam said no and like runs to her, finds her and plants a kiss on her. Right. So to surprise us, kiss, the classic 2000s, 90s surprise kiss. Yeah, exactly. But to us, it's like we know that Pam wants that we know that Pam really does have feelings for Jim but from Jim's perspective you just got turned down why are you chasing after her to kiss her you know like that's what's kind of like shitty about that whole thing and how they started and like you aren't giving her a chance to break up with the man she's engaged to like all of it's just right yeah I mean we do know as the viewer that like she has feelings for Jim. I think that that's kind of inferred a few different times, like throughout the beginning of the series. So like, yeah, we know that. And like, they have this kind of relationship. However, like you have to take her at her word when Uh she said, you know, no, I'm making this other choice. Right. And like, you can't just assume that because like what you're feeling is what she's feeling or even like whatever vibes you thought you were picking up on are actually the truth in this scenario, you know, and you have to give her some time to process that information. And she will come to you later on if she has decided. Yeah. But like in the reality of the situation, it's almost like to Jim is like, she has decided. She said, no, she said, no, I don't like, I think you've misinterpreted our relationship. I guess what I'm saying is like, if he thinks that like, if he still thinks she has feelings, right. he should wait. Yeah. Then you need to, you've, you've shared your feelings with her. She's aware of those feelings now. The ball is completely in her court. It's yeah. not up to you to then like go up to her and decide like, actually, we're going to have a physical relationship that starts right, right now. now. Yeah. Like the reality of it is super fucking weird. And other shady things that Jim did in their relationship was that he drained their joint savings without discussing it with Pam first <sighs> when he invested $10,000 to get his sports management company off the ground and like didn't be like, hey, honey, I'm going to spend like all the money we have. And they have like two kids at yeah. that point. Yeah. yeah. And then when he does get his business off the ground, he splits his time between Scranton and Philadelphia, mm-hmm. leaving Pam to work full time and care for their two young children at home. Mm-hmm. And when he's in Philadelphia, he's in like this bachelor pad yep. with a roommate. And like he even says, as much as I miss Pam and the kids, it's kind of nice to live the bachelor life again. You know, let your hair down. And it's like, dude, you've been chasing after Pam to get this exact situation the entire series and now you're acting like oh what a drag my wife and kids are okay okay not that I'm defending Jim I'm not defending Jim but I am saying like the reality of day-to-day living is yeah I mean like a change of pace can be nice right a life without responsibilities I mean I think that a lot of people can relate to that feeling of like you're getting a break right and you're feeling like you're getting a break and so in that respect I understand it however he is so he's so unsympathetic in that moment because you know what Pam is going through at home alone. And she and he knows what Pam is going right. through alone. Like that's what's so frustrating is exactly. it's like exactly. and it's not like this is a vacation where he's gone for a week and then he's going to come right. back and he's going to pick up all of his duties. Like this is he's completely splitting his time between two different cities. Right. It's not like he is able to still help out in that same capacity like he's leaving all of the responsibility on his wife right and it is I remember those episodes because it is really frustrating because she is so clearly struggling and like so clearly like drained and everybody around her knows it and he knows it and he does some other shitty things during that time period as well where not only is he not physically available to her, he's also not really like emotionally available to her at all either yeah. because he's right. Like he's got to go to meetings, right? He's businessman Jim now. So he has to go to meetings, got to do all this stuff. And so he's like straight up, she's trying to call him to tell him about like things to do with their kids or just to vent about the fact that like she is stressed and tired and yeah. like he's ignoring her phone calls. Like it's, 
it's horrible. And I, like, I understand that, like, there's a certain amount of grace that everybody gets. No one ever does it perfectly. Totally. But, like, in that situation, he seems like such a fucking dick. Especially because like, we've been rooting for them to get together for so many years. And then you're like, really? That's how you're going to treat her? Really? This is it. Yeah, like, it yeah. was supposed to be this, like, great romance. Yeah, you know like, knight I mean? in shining armor getting her, you know, away from the first guy that didn't treat her well. And you're going to swoop in and you should have treated her better. If that's what you, if you were looking at her first relationship and being like, no, she should be with me because I would treat her better than Roy would. Mm -hmm. And now you got her and you're treating her like shit. And you're not showing us that. And it does, it does make you almost sympathetic to her when there's this like, and this part was so weird. I don't know why they wrote it into the series, but whenever there is that kind of like, I don't know, like flirtation between her and the sound guy, you do almost feel sympathetic to her though, because it, emerges out of him being the one who's like recording her conversations or lack thereof with Jim and she's like crying in the copy room or something because she's so overwhelmed and you're like yeah man like you're lone like you're lonely and alone and like frustrated with life and you you don't have anybody that is listening to you and understanding what you're going through or just being a shoulder to lean on. Right. And I think just that's being how emotionally available to you. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm not in a marriage. I've never had an affair, but I would assume that's probably how a lot of affairs start is just yeah. feeling like you're not being heard and not being listened to and loved and respected. And then when somebody else shows you that they do love and respect you, even if it's not the same kind of love, there is that pull of like, well, why isn't my partner able to do this for mm-hmm. me? And that would be so frustrating. And then another time, Jim wins the best dad award at the Dundies. And then he gives this like lackluster speech and doesn't mention Pam in it at all. And Pam's like, what the fuck? Like, I'm the one that made you a dad. It's so weird. And again, you're, you're totally right. And I never thought about it like this, but it is so weird because they make such because they make such a big deal out of those them being the perfect couple. Right. That. If it was a different situation, because that was a big trope in that time, right? Where it was just like nagging wife and like kind of blundering dad. There's an episode that's very similar to that. And everybody loves Raymond where he gives this big speech and forgets to mention his wife. Right. And like that was kind of like a common thing where you're like, oh, silly man, you know, but it's weird for them to make Pam and Jim that way because you made such a show of him being so thoughtful and considerate to her before getting her. And so then what does that say? It's like a man is going to care up until the moment he's gotcha. Yeah. Oh, now he has, I don't have to try anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You pump out a couple kids and now it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, where there's no chase anymore. There's no excitement. You're just the mother of my children. Yawn. (laughs) Uh, the last thing that he does that I find super problematic is that he went and bought his parents' house without yep. consulting yep. Pam on it first. I guess he hesitates once. It's been so long since I've seen this episode, but he hesitates when he's looking at like the shag carpeting and the non-removable painting, and he's like, oh, maybe Pam wouldn't like this. Ah, oh, fuck it. I'll buy the house anyway. And he like turns this really bad life decision into another like grand romantic gesture and tries to sweeten the deal by building Pam a crummy art studio in the garage. So it's kind of like, hey, look, I know I did this really, really horrible thing, but like it's actually a really good idea. And it, it works, by the way. Like, because yeah. her response to it is that like, oh my gosh, how sweet. I'm, we're homeowners. Isn't that amazing? You know? Yeah. Without but just completely glossing over the fact that like actually taking all of your savings and putting them into your startup or buying a house without considering your partner is actually financially abusive. Like you yeah. can't just do that You stuff. can't. And you can't. Like when you have your finances shared, you really do have to bring up any sort of large purchase you're going to make like that's just respectful it's both of your money that you worked so hard for and I don't remember was it in the same area as like where they were living or was it farther away because that's another like I couldn't remember that I didn't look it up so it's like if it's further away you're asking her then to uproot her life and the people she knows and that she's close to and you're like well we're gonna live in my parents house which honestly she probably would have been fine with if you just yeah kept her involved with everything instead of making a bad bad choice and then being like oh well I gotta do something nice now to make up for this horrible thing that I've done and like you said it works again those choices that the writers made for those characters it doesn't really make sense because what we know about Jim and Pam or from what we know about it if he had approached her with 
either of those decisions, she would have told him yes. So yeah. I'm like, why are they trying to create this conflict when actually you could just continue to create these really sweet moments or do what, you know, not to keep bringing up friends, but like do what they did in friends where like, Chandler accepts this job in Oklahoma, but it's on accident, right? Like, yeah. it's not like he deliberately went out and tried to deceive his wife. Like, do something right. so that they don't look like such a piece of shit. Like, yeah, because it makes Jim look bad. And then it puts Jim under the microscope, which kind of leads us into the next thing that, that we can kind of talk about here. Because I feel like most of what we're going to discuss is Michael Scott's bad behavior. Totally, right? like, yeah, yeah, he yeah. Is, he is, although he's supposed to be the protagonist. He's also the over the top kind of like villain of the series. Yeah. And Jim is supposed to be kind of like this charming, handsome hero. Yeah. However, what he represents as someone who didn't watch the show until I was an adult, like post me Too era, post times up era. Right. He represents like every guy who is not at the receiving end of abuse in the office who stands by and watches it happen, like knows that very it's privileged bad. white guy right. thing. Like, I'm not going to get involved. He really is just like the average white dude. He's right. not anything great. He'll turn to the camera and, and acknowledge to the audience that like, this is fucked up, right? Yeah. But he never steps in and says like, hey, don't do that. Even when the woman that he is supposedly so in love with, Pam, like before they get married and after. But prior to that, like again, from the very beginning of the series is being harassed constantly. Yeah. Um, and all the women in the office are and like all of this stuff is happening and he can recognize that like, oh, Michael Scott's such an idiot or an asshole or whatever, but never ever does anything to make the environment better. Yeah. And that is the kind of like, insidious asshole you know what I mean like yeah. Michael Scott is like in like overt right he's in right. your face with all of his like bullshit yeah but I actually think that people like Jim Halper are worse yeah because because they just watch and let it happen and they fly under the radar and they yeah. make you think that they're in your corner right like you mm -hmm. can go to them in the break room and you can vent and they'll be like yeah totally like what a dick like and like yeah. sympathize with you but that's all they'll ever do they'll yeah. never like step in and do anything because he really doesn't care. That's the thing. Because it doesn't really affect him. Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of the thing I think you come away with. And maybe, I don't know, maybe in the last like five episodes or whatever, I didn't see at the very end, things turn around. I'm sure that they do in some respect. But like, that's that's the thing you kind of come away with with Jim is that actually you're a little selfish for like all totally. of these like grand gestures that you do. Like were those really for Pam or were they for you to look they like were, the hero? You know, yeah, they were for you to win Pam over. They weren't about right. your love and appreciation for her because once you had her, you did absolutely nothing to show her that you loved her. Like the infamous uh, like dinner party episode like they're just trying they're both trying to leave all night and then he eventually finds an out and like leaves her there and and then like gets the mm -hmm. heck out of there and it's like no fucking bring your wife with you asshole right. I mean and this is what's so I think I get caught up on Jim because this this was the like mid 2000s like ideal like yeah this kind of, everybody like, wanted silly, to be a Jim and Pam right and and this like that kind of guy was the guy that you wanted right yeah. like that kind of boy next door was kind of like very in at that time and looking back on it you can see how that trope was so problematic and they were supposed to be this like you know nice guy tm kind of stereotype yeah. but like it you look back on that now and you're like oh like the, this is why I had so many relationship problems. Yeah, and it's the reason why, like, the quote-unquote nice guy isn't really the nice guy. Right. That's why we have that trope. It's, you know? Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's, it's there for a reason. Should we start talking about uh, Michael Scott and some episodes where things aren't so nice with him? <laughs> yes, yeah, so... Let's jump in. Yeah. As there's there's a lot there's a lot to break down here. Oh yeah. It, it was hard for me to get into this series. I did eventually get into it, right? Like I it was a good thing to have on to just go, like just to let kind of play in yeah. the background. Um I understand the appeal of the show, all of that stuff. Again, I know completely why people like it. However, when I was trying to watch it, I was like, I do not understand. Michael Scott's appeal yeah and it was very annoying to me 
to watch him. Like he pissed me off. Like, Same. Yeah. I, I was like just getting mad about it. And I was just like, it almost wasn't funny because I was like actually getting pissed. Totally. About this guy's behavior. And that's hard because it's Steve Carell and he's so lovable and he's so good. Yeah. In it, right. Like, yeah. Honestly, I know you haven't seen Always Sunny, but it reminds me of like the one person I hate. The one character I hate in that show is Dennis because he gets like rapey. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where I'm like, that's not funny. And right, like you've crossed a line. Like it's yeah, harassment. Yeah. And for women, I can't believe that so many of the fans of the show were women because granted, again, I was watching it in a post times up kind of era. Yeah. But like even before that, we knew what it was like to work in an office and like that stuff I don't know that that would have been funny to me even before because like it's a little too close to home to be satire. Right. It's just like, no, that I get it that it's supposed to be a joke, but like people actually do that in offices. Yeah. I mean, I watched it when I was in college, so I don't know if it wasn't just that I hadn't had like a regular office experience or I was like, Oh no, that's super shitty. Cause I think to me it was so separate from real life when I watched it where now I think I would have a different response to it than I did in like 2012 or 2013 when I watched the series all the way through. Uh, one of like the worst episodes ever was I think it was the second ever episode of the show and that is Diversity Day oh that one remains um v controversial (laughs) yeah exactly so that episode aired on March 29th 2005 it was the second episode like I said of the series the first episode had gotten a whopping 11 million viewers and this episode which was the second lost over half of its audience with just 6 million viewers they came in too hot (laughs) they really did so the episode starts with Michael Scott giving a very racist impression imitation of one of Chris Rock's routines. Uh, He drops the N-word. It's very not okay. And so the corporate offices sent a representative from Diversity Today to hold a meeting for diversity training. But Michael finds this like super insulting. Like me? No, I... I'm going to do a diversity training. I'm the training. least racist person you'll ever meet. I yeah. feel like he's one of those. Like, he's one of those where that's going to come out of his like, mouth. Like, I can't be racist, this, this, that, and the other mm-hmm. thing. So he's like, I'm going to hold my own diversity meeting. And he does this, I think, with the sexual harassment one, too, where he's like, yes, he does. no, I, I know this so well that I can be the one that runs this seminar. So he holds his own diversity training. And in the meeting, he instructs everyone to wear index cards with a certain race on it and oh. treat each other how they might treat people of these races the worst idea ever and you're watching it and you know it's a a terrible idea all of his employees are like oh my god I can't believe we're actually doing this but we do it we do the whole episode he will have the index cards on their heads he delivers a very racist impression of an Indian person to Kelly Kapoor played by Mindy Kaling to which she takes offense and slaps him because she wasn't there for the beginning of it. He just comes up to her and starts speaking in a certain way, which is weird because he said that they had to treat each other how you would treat that certain race. So is he then saying that when he comes upon an Indian person, he's going to come up with a horrible impression? Well, that's what I remember about that episode was... (sighs) What I remember was that they had the index cards on their foreheads. Yeah. And then if it was like African-American on your forehead, the person who was talking to them would like throw out really overt fucking awful stereotypes. So I don't know if they were supposed to try and guess guess. what what their index card was. I don't remember, but I do remember that part of it because that's part of what was so offensive. Yeah. But then it's like, what's the point of the... Of it, because like at the beginning, he's saying like treat each treat the person like you would treat the person of that race or ethnicity or whatever. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And then eventually the real diversity trainer comes in and introduces himself as Mr. Brown. And Michael's like, I won't call him that because he's like a black man, I believe. And it's just it's so weird. And viewers had such a huge problem with this episode. But strangely enough, the episode earned really positive reviews from television critics. Entertainment Weekly said, think of the toss off racism of the original plopped into a PC gone wrong showcase that might be entitled The Accidental Bigot. Well, and that's the 
that's kind of the issue, right? It's it's not that Michael Scott is racist or sexist or homophobic, right? Because like people like that exist, like we were talking about in Always Sunny. It's that it's kind of thrown away as it, like he didn't do it on purpose. It was yeah, unintentional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's right? just a dummy. And that we should cut him slack because of that. Yeah. Right. Unintentional bigot. Right. And it also goes to show you like how far comedy has come in that time period. Like that there is a 0% chance that they would give the green light for that to be made as it was. I mean, God, I would hope, (laughs) you know, you know, and it's, it's a difficult conversation. I know that people have had as well because Mindy calling did, she was instrumental in writing the office, right? Like she had a say in the things that went in on that show as well. So people make that argument as well that like, Oh, well Mindy, Mindy Colling said it was okay. So yeah, but like this also, there was a team of writers for that show. And we're talking about an Indian American woman writing in a room that was probably predominantly male and white. You can't have her be the one person in the one voice where she has to shut down all the quote bad ideas. It Uh shouldn't just be her responsibility. That's the thing. And even if she were to speak up and say something, I highly doubt that the entire room of white male people would be like, great idea, Mindy. Well, they would say like, relax. I mean, that's kind of the thing. Why are you, why are you making such a big deal of it? It's not a big deal. And that's what you hear even now is just like, oh, culture is too PC nowadays. And that's why people are upset. We've lost our sense of humor and that's why people are upset. And it's like, no, that's that's not why people are upset with this. I was appalled the first time I saw that. Same. Uh, when I saw the episode, the Scott's Tots episode. Did you ever see that one? I've seen all of them, but remind me. So that one was when he had promised, like when these kids were in elementary school, at this underprivileged school, was predominantly black. Yes. And he was like, whoever can like graduate high school, I'll pay for your college. Yeah, yeah. And... And they did. And they did. And they threw this big thing for him because they were like, you motivated us to want to complete high school because we were going to pay for college. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And he doesn't do it, obviously, because he promised this thing that he can't do. And it's kind of it's cringe. It's supposed to be cringe, right? It's supposed to be cringy. But like on a deeper level, you have to think if you look at it, if you peel back the layers of this onion, even fucking slightly, it's not funny. No, it's actually really, really horrible what he did to those kids. Yeah, it's horrifying yeah like it's truly horrifying and it's it's laughing at it's pointing at and laughing at and very excusing his behavior too yeah and very real situations that a lot of people especially people of color minorities people in underprivileged neighborhoods yeah go through and saying like that this is a joke yeah you know and like it's not. I no. don't know. I don't know how else to say it because no. I know that people are just like you're thinking too much about it. Like it's No, I think that's I think that all of these are super obvious as to why they're upsetting and why they make us mad. Um kind of in the same vein as Diversity Day, the like I mentioned earlier, the sexual harassment episode. Uh, we meet Michael's douchey best friend Todd Packer, oh, played by David uh is it Kochner? Co- Kochner? I can't I never I'm not sure. But he's the worst. Oh, my God. I wanted to, like, throw something at my TV when I first saw that. Yeah, the absolute worst. Which is probably where Michael got a lot of stuff. They keep bringing that character back, like, over and over. It's horrible. Yeah, well, I'm sure some people liked him. Just wasn't us. Uh, So Packer makes a bunch of inappropriate jokes about the CEO's sexual misconduct allegations. And so they have like a sexual harassment meeting or whatever. And Michael's big concern about having to obey by the rules against sexual harassment is that he won't be able to be friends with his employees anymore or make a dirty joke ever again. And he says he worries about quote, getting a boner when he's around Phyllis. Uh, Like uh, it's just so it's nothing that you should, I wouldn't even like it if like a friend of mine, not in a workplace environment made that said those things around Mm -hmm. me and made that kind of a joke because it would make me feel so unbelievably uncomfortable. And like Michael's whole thing is like, I'm a friend first and a boss second. Right. And like that is so toxic as well. And that's something that you see in workplaces all the time as oh, well. Oh, yeah. And also he directed that particular comment towards Phyllis yeah. because he goes out of his way to, to be fat phobic towards her, to say that she's old or she's yeah. ugly, like all of the time. So it's his way. That was like him giving a compliment to Phyllis. It was, yeah. it was framed that way. Exactly. Right? And I understand that the show is making a, a commentary when they bring in that guy, David, or whatever his name yeah. is. 
he's like higher up in the company, right? And I understand that the show is making a comment about how men like this are somehow able to advance. Totally. Right? Like, which is a real problem. But it's not, it's not displaying the problem in a way where we are coming away from the episode realizing it's a problem. Well, and there are no consequences either. Right. And because the whole thing turns into another one of Michael Scott's antics instead of it actually being a conversation on what sexual harassment in the workplace looks like. It just becomes like, yeah, the assholes get their way and that's it. Like there is no like moral of the story with that storyline. It's just we're going to make jokes about sexual harassment for the fun of it. You know? Yeah. I mean, and no one was off limits. Like they... They poked fun at Stanley being black. There was another black character who was on the show for like a little while who was like a temp who had gone to jail for some like white, like white collar thing. Yeah. And he had a whole meeting about that with where he wore like a bandana and like. Oh, is this prison Mike? Yes. Yes. Oh, God. Yeah. And that was God. That was a huge meme. Like that was so popular when I was like in high school and college and things like that. The whole prison mic thing. I totally forgot how that came about. Right. It was them trying to figure out why this. And again, it it was not so subtly hinted at like, oh, this black guy was in prison. What was he in prison for? And then yeah. trying to figure out what he was in prison for. Right. Um, and we have a criminal. We have a criminal in our midst. Like that whole whole thing. Right. You know, so it, it, it was everybody. I, I know we're getting to it, but also Oscar. Yeah, that was actually the next episode that I wanted to talk about was the gay witch hunt episode, which... I was talking to Max about this episode in particular, and he's like, oh, God, that episode would never be made today. And no. I was like, God, oh, no. I hope not. I was so uncomfortable watching. Oh, it's awful. It's awful. So Michael calls Oscar the anti-gay F-slur, and then through that, he learns that Oscar is gay, and apparently that's why saying it was inappropriate. They're not like, oh, you shouldn't say that word because it's not nice. They're like... Don't say that because he's gay. If there weren't any gay people in here, this wouldn't have been a problem. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So then he tries to apologize and like, doesn't he? Yeah, he like outs Oscar in front of the whole Uh like office. And Oscar was like, dude, I didn't want everybody to know that. And now the whole office knows. And then again, there's another seminar that is thrown that Michael... Uh, puts up to discuss homosexuality, which is not great for Michael Scott to do. So, well, because the whole time now, at this point, he's trying to prove that, like, he's, he's really not cool, homophobic really cool and yeah. with gay people, right? So it's just getting worse and worse and worse. Like, I see the comedy in it. However, the way it was executed is so horrifying. Yeah, the cringiest, cringiest moment is when Michael, against Oscar's consent or will hugs him and then kisses him on the mouth right basically saying like would a homophobe do this yeah and oscar looks like he wants to crawl out of his skin and die it's your boss and you're in front of all of your coworkers. and and what are you supposed to do say no like just been outed (laughs) yeah like it's putting oscar in the worst possible situation and if he were to say no and push michael away how do you think michael's gonna respond to that like oh whoa whoa what's the big deal here you know all this kind of stuff yeah so there's this like well i guess i just kind of have to go along with this situation with michael kissing me and then Oscar of course threatens to quit which I wish he would have just like walked out and been like fuck all of you bye so they don't want Oscar to quit so Michael attempts to reconcile with him oh no this is when he when he does the hugging and kissing I think is when he's trying to reconcile with him I don't remember the order of things it's crazy but Oscar is given three months paid vacation and use of a company car in exchange for not suing Dunder Mifflin I would not take that. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense how Michael Scott didn't get fired throughout all of this either because a million times the number of times that Jan or one of his bosses had to show up to put out fires. Yeah, because he's put the company at risk by doing these like absolutely wild things. That's a great point. How did he keep his job? I don't know. Well, he like dated Jan. too, And their relationship was super abusive yeah like she was really abusive to, to him. him 
Yeah. Yeah. And that was never discussed because we don't talk about men getting abused by women. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and again, I think also the show was supposed to be saying like, you shouldn't even care that much because it's Michael Scott and like he's done all of these things to other people. So you're just kind of like, ha ha, you know, he's getting his or whatever. Yeah. Isn't that kind of silly? It's like two of the worst people ending up together. Yeah. Like he's kind of met his match almost. Yeah. Yeah. But no, she's horrible to him as well, but he's pretty terrible to her. I mean, like, He's pretty terrible in the lead up to her, like, because she doesn't want to date him and he kind of like relentlessly pursues her, like basically like stalks her. Like she's making it very clear, like, I don't want to discuss romance with you. Yeah. And and like, especially not in the office and stuff. And he like (laughs) won't stop flirting with her and like giving her compliments. And she's like, this makes me uncomfortable. I don't like this. And he just continually does it anyways. Yeah, exactly. He also tells Oscar that it's his Mexican-ness that defines him as a a human being yeah uh you know and then once he found out that he was gay it was like also that and that was also kind of a thing that I picked up on on the show that like it was almost like they couldn't compute that there were like two things it's like you're Mexican and you're gay like that intersectionality like they were like I don't under I don't how am I supposed to relate to you now like as a gay person or as a Mexican person like I don't know how to communicate with you now yeah and I feel like after Oscar's like outing episode if I remember correctly there would be quite a bit of like gay jokes or gay references thrown at his character which like you said in the beginning it really like minimizes each character down to their ethnicity or their sexuality or their race instead of having them be fully formed characters and human beings he did that with all of the african-american characters on the show as well where he would call them ethnic or urban or talk to them about rap music like that was basically all that he he or do his chris rock impression like dude no don't do that and again it's supposed to be a joke but if if you've ever worked anywhere as a minority, you've had stuff like that happen to you. Totally. You know what I mean? And it's like, and that's kind of the thing is like, you can kind of be like in on the joke and you're rolling your eyes along with Stanley or with whoever. Yeah. But at the same time, if it's relentless like this, it, it almost isn't funny because you're like, that doesn't look like a a good fun work environment. Like I wouldn't want to be there. I wish that there was somebody in the show that was more of a moral compass that could make things better in the end. Like maybe Michael's still going to be the boss. Maybe all this stuff is going to happen, but at least to tie up certain storylines to show that this is wrong rather than just getting a shot to Stanley or Jim looking at the camera just kind of right. referencing to that, like if there was some sort of moral compass that even though bad things are happening, it would still kind of show the audience like this is bad and this is why. And now we're going to make fun of it. Right. But you know what the, I mean? The only people or the only person really who would call him out was Angela, but she was framed as this shrew bitch. Exactly. Right? Like, like cold, crazy cat lady. Yeah. Like so not warm. Who cares what her opinion is about anything? You're not yeah. supposed to like her. Exactly. I actually saw her in the park probably like two years ago now because I don't understand. I heard she's super time. nice actually. I didn't talk to her. She was um, like filming. It was funny because I looked on her Instagram later and I found what she was filming. It was like a young girl, probably her daughter or something. And she was like doing a video of her daughter in the Aww. park and things like that. And I I was just walking by with tea and I was like, oh my God, that's the chick from the office. But I also did a couple different um, background TV shows where they had, um, I did something with Phyllis. I did something with um, Meredith. Oh gosh, Where she yeah. played like a principal. Meredith was the one character in the show that I like never, I never liked her. She just bugged me. Like the way that they wrote her character, I was like, she's, obnoxious and like would randomly just like get naked or like overtly sexual at times and like it was she was just the most random character to me she seemed very nice as a person but like I I never got all all of their characters were caricatures essentially except for a couple of them were more nuanced in the way that they were written but like Creed also was a caricature it was like an over-the-top version of a person um but I love Creed I feel like Creed is like He'd be problematic in life, but in the show, like, that was almost more of a comedic relief to me was Creed. Just being the creepy fucking weirdo. But he's not being as, like, blatantly out there that you can't hate him as much, you know? I feel like Creed's weirdness gets called out by people as well. So that's what we needed more of for Michael because Michael Scott, again, it's not just that he's not getting his shit called out. It's that by the end of 
the series or when Michael Scott left the series and even by the end of certain episodes where Michael Scott was acting his worst. Yeah. They would do something in the episode. They would write something in designed to make you feel bad for Michael Scott. Right. So when that happens, like he's crying on the curb or something or Jan's being really mean to him or, yeah. or something like that. And like then you are supposed to just forget that he has treated everybody like shit. You or know? at least like, be like, oh, well, this is the reason he's treating everyone like shit. So there's a pass. Right. You know? Yeah. Let's talk about the Benihana Christmas episode. Yes, um, let's, let's do it. Yeah, because if you type in The Office Problematic in your Google search engine, this episode is going to pop up like right away because the actress who played the waitress, one of the waitresses at Benihana, her name is Kat On, has come out since the episode's airing within the past few years and discussed... Actually, this year. because Was it, it this was, year? I knew yeah. it was recent, but I didn't know how long yeah. since the episode. It was right. March of this year because it was in the midst of whenever we were all having conversations about AAPI representation yeah. in media. Yes. And she came forward talking about this experience of filming this episode. Exactly. And so Kat is an Asian American actress who played the waitress who served the Dunder Mifflin employees at the Benihana restaurant. After many drinks, Michael and Andy, Andy played by Ed Helms, convinced Kat's character and her co-worker to come back to the office for the Christmas party, where Michael then marks Kat character with a sharpie to differentiate her from the other waitress he's like i like you and i don't want to forget which is which so i'm going to mark you with a sharpie yeah and hearing her talk about this experience was really sad actually because like as an actor and she elaborated about you know especially if you're a minority actor yeah you oftentimes take roles that are stereotypical roles or racist roles because you have to because you have to pay your rent or you don't want to lose your agent or you don't want to be seen as the difficult one right because that's what's on the table for you and I, I liked that she talked talked really openly and candidly about that totally yeah she also talked to the Washington Post now 15 years after that episode's initial airing. And she says that she felt like she was just there to be a joke. She said, you're told to just shut up and be grateful. Actors have no power until they become a star. And it's totally true. And what you were saying, you know, she kind of went on TikTok and opened up about how, you know, she understands why. You know, people of color, actors of color will take these roles that are racist and stereotypical because, well, one, I don't even think that there were many other options no. for the longest time of having like a great role for a person of color. Riz All the Ahmed, great roles were for white people. Right. And Riz Ahmed was had a great interview where he talked about that, where he was like in the beginning of my career. And even up till now, like 90% of the things I'm going to be called out on are for terrorists because of the way I look, Yeah, you know, and if you're trying to get started in this industry, if you say no to those roles, what is left for you? Like there isn't anything else left for you. I mean, and even in my experience now, like Anthony is Filipino, but he reads Latino because there's a lot of crossover there. Right. And that's he goes out on a lot of things and I see the sides that he gets like it is it's all like you're either a store clerk or you're a um gang member like those are the things that that you are getting as yeah. as roles and you do not have I don't think people understand this because there's a lot of criticism around like well why would you take if you're a black guy why do you just keep taking gang member roles right yeah because I because I want to be an actor and I want to make a living right you don't really have a lot of choices yeah and when you're an actor and that's really what you're trying to do it is so hard to live (laughs) because everything is so expensive that when you are offered a role that could literally pay your rent for like several months Um, you know or years if you're on the office with the reruns the residuals everything like that like in every year she couldn't say no to that like no I, I get it I totally get it but it broke my heart because the initial excitement of getting that role and wanting to tell everybody like I got a speaking role yeah opposite Steve Carell on the office 
it just gets taken away from you because your character is basically being treated like a prop. And yeah. she she wrote in that Washington Post article, she said, the storyline with myself and the other Asian American actress is that we were the uglier version of the actresses at the Benihana. Also, that all Asian people look alike, were one big monolith, and were just one big walking stereotype without any personality or individuality, which is problematic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, duh, obviously. Yeah. So... Jenna Fisher, who plays Pam, and Angela Kinsey, who played Angela, have a podcast now called The Office Ladies. They had Rashida Jones on an episode where they discussed the Benihana episode. Kinsey said, I just don't think this storyline would have been written today. And Rashida Jones admits that watching the episode back now over 10 years later, quote, feels different. And she says, what works about Michael is the delicate balance between full cringe and well-intentioned, lovable, bad boss, Jones said. And to watch it now in the current climate, like that balance feels different. I think it's good to have things that read really badly now and didn't read badly at the time because it is a mark of our progress, she said. The show resonates because Michael reminds people of their bosses and people they work with and maybe a little bit of themselves. And it's really important that people see that like you have to measure up to the moment you're in. And I think it's a really good point that she's saying is like, you have to ride that line between being cringeworthy and being lovable in order for that to happen. And I think in some instances he was. And I think that in the lens that we watched it when it was airing, that was how Michael Scott was seen. Kind of this lovable, bumbling idiot. Well, because it's Steve Carell. So like, here's what I'll say, because I know when we do these episodes, I do usually generally, if I can, like to try and close it with something a little bit positive. Right. So... In my opinion, I would still watch The Office. Like if it's on, I will still watch it. Right. For all of the things that I'm criticizing about it, there were really good things um, about the show. There were really poignant things about the show. And for as much shit as we're giving Michael Scott right now, Steve Carell is a brilliant actor. Brilliant in, actor and really good person right. from what I've and, seen, you know. But him in that role, there are a few other people who could have done that role and made you care about that person yeah at all, right like and because we've said all these awful things like you would think like how could you like come away still caring about that person right but Steve Carell somehow makes that work right like I, I understand what Rashida Jones is saying in that like it is a benchmark of our progress that like all of this stuff doesn't play well anymore and to recognize that doesn't play well anymore the only thing that I would say about what she did say is that it never should have because for her to say that about that episode right after reading what the actress felt while yeah, filming and yeah. while watching it back, that person never should have been put in that position right. to deal with that ever at all. Yeah. And it sucks that that's what had to happen. It's nice that we're making progress and that's great, but it sucks that so many people kind of had to endure this. And it sucks that so many people in regular day-to-day -day life in their workplaces and in their offices have to deal with similar situations. Yeah, exactly. You know, so that's Yeah, just God, that's the show I want to see is like bad work environment and then seeing it get fixed. Instead of just letting everything stay shitty at the end. I think that's kind of what I'm missing, like I said earlier, with like a character that can be a moral compass or something that can kind of like tie it together where it doesn't, when you're just reading aloud what an episode entails, it just doesn't feel as icky, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <sighs> it, this one's a hard one. It, it is actually, because it's just like, it, it, so much of it is so bad and it's yeah. like so terrible, but at the same time, there is something about it. They hit on something that like it is still kind of enjoyable to have on. Yeah. And, like, and there's so many like things that have come out of that show. Like that's what she said came yeah. from that show. You know, there's so cultural, many a huge cultural moments. Exactly. Yeah. Like it is such a part of like, I feel a especially like millennial culture. Yes. You know, like everybody For loved The worse. Office. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's one of those things where it's like, they're obviously, it was well written. It was funny. There were good jokes, but it's just when you kind of pull back. The physical back, comedy of some of the episodes is... It's, oh, the koi pond. Yeah, like There are some episodes where the physical comedy is so funny. Yeah. Like I think Dwight in one episode like locks the door shut or something and then like he pretends there's a fire and they're all trying to get out and Angela like throws her cat. <laughs> like and it is 
There are moments on that, that show that... That is the funniest fucking part. This is so funny. Ever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the actors that were on that show were so fucking good. Stanley. And so mm-hmm. funny. Gorgeous. I, he, I love him. All of them really are so fantastic. And I think that's why people come back because it's like... If you read it on paper, it doesn't sound like it's going to be very good. But the life that these people brought to it almost made you forget that some of it is super shitty. And that's why it's a problematic favorite. Exactly. Just like with anything else we talk about when we talk about these episodes. I realize that you just listened to an hour of us tearing this show down. Um, But as with anything else, there is stuff to like about it. Right. It's just, again, being aware of the media that you're consuming, not consuming it just kind of blindly or thinking that if anybody is offended by the content, that it's because they don't have a sense of humor or they're too PC or, you know, they don't get it. Yeah. Like, because that's that's not really the case. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So if you still love to watch The Office before you go to bed at night, there is no shame. It's just being aware when the problematic shit comes up and you can check in with yourself on it and be aware that it's happening and then make choices going forward, whether or not you feel comfortable watching a particular episode or show or anything like that. We're just here to point out the problems so that you all can make a more informed decision about your viewing habits. Absolutely. That's it, really. So, you know? I do want to say before we go into our closing uh-huh. closing spiel closing. here is that I am going out of town for a couple of weeks. We're actually recording this ahead. So next week's episode will probably be a rerun or a yeah. mashup of a couple of uh, episodes from our past. So we just want to give you a heads up about that. Yeah. If you have opinions on an episode that you would like us to re-air, uh, please let us know. Actually, yeah, that would be a really great idea. I would love to re-air an episode from, I was going to say our first season, but we don't really do seasons. But like our, our first, first year. year. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I'd love to kind of go back into the archives and see. We just got our sound figured out and we're going to throw them back to like the worst sound of all time. <laughs> exactly. Well, I will listen to them and make sure that the sound isn't too bad I know when I I re-released like two feminist faves that I glued together when Mm -hmm. you were away last time and that was really funny to hear like the different sound but the reason I did that part of the reason was like well I really like you know my story or whatever and like the sound isn't too bad but Keegan's is kind of bad so I'll just use another one Mm -hmm. and put them together so I won't make you listen to like horrible sound quality it won't be episode one okay if you want to put yourself through that you can just scroll back to the beginning like whenever I look at our analytics there are always tons of people that listen to our very first episode I don't know what podcast listeners start with the first episode I do I do yeah no, unless it's like a series or something like that. It's it's always so weird because like you can tell like they're they're just finding their footing or whatever. And like I'll usually listen to like a recent one and then I'll go back. If I like really like the host and stuff, then I'll go back and start from the beginning. If you are recommending our podcast to people, we are not the kind of podcast that you have to start at the beginning. No. I like to do that like because I like to get to know people and sometimes there's inside jokes that develop throughout totally, the show yeah. or whatever. But for this podcast, you don't you don't got to do that. Listen, no. jump in wherever. I always tell people like if they're unsure, I'm like, well, we have a million topics. Like you don't have to listen Find to one all you of like. them. Find one that you like. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like Max doesn't listen to all of our episodes, but on ones that he's like, oh, I'm interested in this topic. I'll listen to it a little bit if yeah. I haven't already like told him everything during the week. You know, you just kind of pick and choose what you like. So, yeah, I'll be going through that and kind of figuring out what... What oldie but goodie I'll be showing y'all. Yeah. All right. Well, please send us in any recommendations of old episodes that you want me to upload in the future. But also, if there is any ideas that you have for future episodes, please email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or direct message us on Instagram at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. We have a Facebook business and group page. On the business page, you can like and review us there and chat with the other listeners on the group page. And if you love us and you think others would love us as well, the best way for you to support us is to leave a five star review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it when you do so, and you will be featured on our Instagram for Reviews Day Tuesday. All right, that's all we got for you today. With all that being said, we encourage you to, to rage on. on. Bye. Hey. 
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.